Welcome to Inside Personal Growth Podcast. Deep dive with us as we unlock the secrets to personal development, empowering you to thrive. Here, growth isn't just a goal, it's a journey. Tune in, transform, and take your life to the next level by listening to just one of our podcasts. Well, Chip, welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. There you are in Santa Fe, New Mexico. That's a beautiful portrait behind you. It's always a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth. It's been a long time since you were last on, and it was your book Thank on you. equations, which is still one of my wow, favorites. Wow, that was, yeah. That's over a decade old. Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. you. It's great to be here. And we're going to be talking about this book, Learning to Love Midlife, 12 Reasons Why Life Gets Better with Age. And there, there's particularly reasons why uh, Chip wrote this book, uh, and I can only garner why through having read the book, come up with some great questions for us to ask Chip today about the book so everybody out there can learn. But I'm going to tell him a little bit about you. He has become the CEO Whisperer as the mentor to countless young entrepreneurs, artists, politicians, and athletes. He's disrupted his favorite industry, hospitality, twice. Uh, he became uh, the, what What do you actually, the term that you use, the father, modern elder for Airbnb. Uh, this is Chip's seventh book, and he's a New York Times bestseller based on his popular daily blog, Wisdom Well. Um, you want to learn more about Chip, go to chipconnolly.com. That's chipconnolly.com. It's probably not too many of my listeners that don't know who you are. He's well considered to be the cross guard at the dicey intersection of psychology and business. Um, he's been a main stage speaker at TEDx conference multiple times. He also cares more about being a thoughtful leader than being a thought leader. He's the co-founder and CEO of Modern Elder Academy, which we'll put a link to that as well. And it's the first, world's first, midlife wisdom school where he tends to learn and reimagine the purpose of their lives the campus is in Baja Sur, Mexico, and Santa Fe, where he is right now. So you can go to a couple of websites to learn more about Chip, and we'll put that up there. Wonderful book for everybody out there, Chip. Let's dive right in because people today with COVID and reconsidering their life and reimagining things are, I think, closer now than ever to letting all this bubble up inside of them around midlife. And you had four previous books to your credit. And this says- well, Actually, actually six. 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 Yeah. Uh-huh. This book, however, is quite different from the previous books. Um, Why did you write this book? And what do you hope that the readers and the listeners today are going to take away from our podcast? You know, uh, midlife has the worst brand of any life stage. What's the number one word you think of, Greg, when you hear midlife? Well, they always midlife. say crisis, crisis is the word exactly. afterward. That's but right. I also so, remember that guy up in um, Santa Barbara who taught the whole thing around midlife for the longest time. He had a whole institute. Frederick. Frederick, Frederick Hudson. I, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And we, I always loved his, diag I loved his diagrams because his diagrams really explained it well. They're his, perfect. Uh, his his uh, wife uh, is runs the Hudson Institute, and we work with them. They're a partner of ours at MEA. Um, yeah. 
So I wanted to write this book partly because I think midlife has a bad brand. I don't think a lot of people understand what's going on in midlife. <clears throat> I lost five male friends to suicide in midlife uh, back during the Great Recession. And so I would just say that I think midlife is less of a crisis and more of a chrysalis. Um, if you think about the caterpillar, the butterfly journey, midlife yeah. is the chrysalis. It's dark and gooey and solitary, but it's also where the transformation happens. And um, so what I wanted to explore with this book, but also with the Modern Elder Academy, MEA, the World's First Midlife Wisdom School, was how do we help people to reimagine and repurpose themselves uh, in midlife and consciously curate the second half of their adult life? Well, and, and you do it well through MEA and uh, your uh, workshops that I looked at videos and testimonials and it's really cool the people what happens the transformation now you mentioned the introduction that midlife is when we begin to worry that life isn't turning out the way we'd expected and i would say yes that's true and more i think it's when we look at our finitude as well mm -hmm. um how long do we have what kind of difference can we make are we living our purpose uh, relationship with our spouse, our children, everything, right? What in your estimation are the three stages of midlife and what happens to us mentally during each of those stages? So um, many sociologists now say that midlife lasts 40 years, which is a long time um, because it's really the bridge between early adulthood and later adulthood. Um, and if more and more people are living till 100, Later adulthood might be from 75 to 100, and early adulthood might be from 18 to 35. So 35 to 75 is how we characterize it. If there are three stages that define that 40-year period, the first stage is early midlife, which is from 35 to 50. It's a rough period. Uh, the U-curve of happiness research, social science research, shows that it's the least happy time in adulthood um, between 35 and 50 when we're sort of you know, like getting disappointed. We, re we realize we're disappointed because our expectations are not matching our re reality. Um, and then 50 to 60 is the core of midlife. It's really when the midlife chrysalis is happening, the transformations going on. And then from 60 to 75 is later midlife. And often I'm 63. And so later midlife is when we are dealing with our own health issues, dealing with our parents, possibly if they haven't passed away yet, uh, way yet at that point. Um, we're dealing with uh, retirement and how do we want to live the later, you know, few decades of our life. So um, midlife is a long period, but it has three distinct period, uh, uh, time periods within it. Yeah. Well, you know, I think we all learn to cope and transition into it in a different way. And your school is there to help people really awaken to the possibilities of what can transform and what lies ahead can actually be way better than what transpired prior to that. Now you quote yeah. Brene Brown and her definition of midlife unraveling. Um, yes. What was it that unravel, what, that unraveling like for you and what advice would you have for listeners that are going through unraveling? And if you would speak, if you would, because you had a health crisis, um, you got cancer. And you also had a son that had mental problems as well, right? Um, yeah, how has this affected, affected you? Well. And what are what about the your thoughts about middle? Like you lost five friends during the COVID period. 
uh, you went through your own scare with cancer. Uh, you had a son that was challenged. Uh, and, and if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember, did he, is he still with us or no? He is. He is. Still he with is. Us. Okay. 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 So, because you look, there's not one person out there, including your business finances, your business kind of falling apart. You then having to team up with, uh, I watched your video, team up with um, Airbnb. Thank God, what a great offering uh, yes. and an opportunity for you. So look, you got all this conversion and it happened within a very short period of time. Yeah. Yeah, what, Brené is a friend, and Brené, when she first said to me, Chip, midlife isn't unraveling, I said, like, oh, God, that's terrible. When you hear someone say that they're unra they're unraveling, it's like they've lost their mind. And she said to me then, uh, if, Chip, if you look in the dictionary under the word ravel, it means so tightly wound, you can't get it undone. You're stuck. And I guess there's a lot of people in midlife who feel stuck. Um, and I did. Uh, in my late 40s, I had a relate long-term relationship ending. I had a foster son who's an adult going to prison wrongfully who had emotional mental issues. Um, I had a company that I was running that I didn't want to run anymore that was running out of cash. Um, and, and you know, I, I was losing friends. I had an NDE, a near-death experience uh, due to an allergic reaction to an antibiotic. So pretty much everything that could go wrong was going wrong in my life. And what I could see was that I had accumulated so much, so many expectations, so many identities. I had uh, really put myself in a position where um, I felt really stuck by all of my, the expectations I had for myself. Uh, and what I needed to do is something that we now do at the Modern Elder Academy at MEA is called the Great Midlife Edit. And it's really to let go of the obligations and the responsibilities, the roles, the identities, uh, maybe even the stuff in our life that isn't serving us anymore and learning how to discern what's truly essential. And that is what I did around age 50. And I spent two years then doing what's called a midlife atrium, just for like really reflecting on how do I want to live the second half of my adult life? And, and then, yeah, I, I was asked by at age 52 by the founders of Airbnb to become their modern elder. They define the modern elder as someone who is cu as curious as they are wise and so that's uh, how I really started focusing more on wisdom um, because uh, I, they really appreciated me, I guess, for my wisdom. And, and ultimately that led to creating the Modern Elder Academy, MEA, the world's first midlife wisdom school with these locations in both Baja and Santa Fe. It, it really is an interesting life. And, you, you know, by the events in your life, you of all people are so well prepared to lead this modern elder academy and you've had the opportunity to work with thousands of people in this in midlife that have visited modern elder academy um and on three separate campuses right um you've had helped them to reimagine as you said and repurpose themselves um what can listeners expect should they attend an mea uh, event and the community of support that they will get that will follow them after the journey, after this initial journey uh, with the community that they uh, bond with and the cohorts they bond with at MEA. Yeah. So we've had over 4,000 alumni from 47 countries with the average age being about 55 who've come as people as young as 25 and as old as 88. Um, our program 
our workshop program is five nights long. It is it has four different elements to it. It's helping people to navigate transitions, cultivate purpose, own their wisdom, and reframe their relationship with aging. Because if you can actually shift your, your mindset on aging from a negative to a positive about aging, you gain seven and a half years of additional life. Mm -hmm. So that's what a workshop program is. It's typically about two dozen people in a workshop. It's pretty deep. Goes, you know, it, it you build very close relationships because we create a crucible for life-changing conversations. Um, that group, that cohort that you're in, once you leave Baja or Santa Fe, um, stays together, has Zoom calls, but then you go back home and there are 26 regional chapters around the world. So you can then connect with that group of people uh, in your own area. Um, and then we also have online programs and the online programs are very popular. Um, and those are on our sort of our, our core themes. Um, and a lot of people, especially if they don't have the time or the money to to go for a trip, they they use that. But also, we also have financial aid for our uh, workshop programs. Interesting. It is. It's a full. And I'm going to put the link to the website up there for all the listeners. You know, and right. I remember I go back in time, obviously, like I said, I'm going to be almost 70 in July. I will be 70 in July to Bob Buford, which is now headed up yep. by Lloyd Reb. And yep. I and I remember going to some of those many workshops that they would have for people trying to go from from having more meaning more significance in their life having a purpose in their life they've been hard driven business people but i'm going to shift this question a little bit because it was always a bit around uh christianity not spiritualism but christianity right now i i you know look i have thousands of people who listen to this podcast and they know that that I'm as close to Buddhist as could be, right? That's about it. I'm a um, self-realization fellowship devotee. How do you dive into this side of it with people at MEA? Because it is such a significant part of us finding more meaning in our life. And I'm not yeah. just going to say the ethereal, but the re the, the reality is if you have a God up there somewhere or somebody that you, something that you worship to, how do you guys deal with that? You know, um, Richard Rohr is a famous Christian mystic Catholic priest, uh, written 40 or 50 books. And he's an MEA alum. He came to Baja to a class and he's also on our faculty teaching in, in, uh, in Santa Fe in July. Um, he said quite famously that the, primary operating system system in our life in for the first half of our life is our ego. It's what individuates it, us. It's what propels us forward. It's what helps us give us a sense of who we are. And he says around midlife, <clears throat> there's a primary operating system change from your ego to your soul. And yet no one gives you operating instructions for this new operating system, the soul. Um, but there's, there's evidence of people feeling that when they feel a little bit more curiosity about the meaning of life or about their purpose or about um, spirituality or religion in general. And there's a bunch of data that backs this up. So at MEA, we have a lot of people who come there who might feel a stirring inside of them, but they don't have words to describe what it feels like. There's a, a sense of awe and a curiosity about things bigger than themselves. And so we are not specific to a particular particular religion or spiritual right. program. Right. We definitely we definitely offer mindfulness programs and uh, yoga and meditation instruction and things like that. 
but we have people who are devout Christians, devout Jews. We have a rabbi who's on our faculty who teaches, you know, all the time. Uh, we have a, a large sec uh, segment of, of Buddhists um, and people of all faiths and atheists and agnostics too. I think what's common amongst all of these people is a sense that at some point in your life, maybe it's midlife, you start to come to grips with the fact that the world doesn't revolve around you. <laughs> and for a lot of people, it happens earlier because they have kids, et cetera. Um, and that you want to serve and you want to actually make a difference out there. And um, so feeling part of something bigger than yourself uh, is something that sort of transcends all religious beliefs. And, you know, at the center of it all is love. And, and how do you help people to um, take away some of the armor that they have piled up in their 20s, 30s, and 40s such that they can actually be open to taking some of that armor and those identities off and disrobing and feeling really safe about just being who they are. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think uh, compassion and love are the keys. I mean, the Dalai Lama couldn't say it any more than he has. Um, I, I'll uh, reference to my listeners that listen to this podcast, go back and listen to a few podcasts that we did with Thomas More. Um, which Love I him. think I think you will yeah. find someone who was a theologian and was involved as a as a priest at one point now broke away from that, but found spirituality a much different than religiosity, uh, if you want to say it that way. Now, can you speak with us about the U curve of happiness? You mentioned it about yeah. ten minutes ago, uh, and why, as you as as we have aged, you have gotten happier. That's you too, mm -hmm. um, and you also have a blog called Wisdom Well, yep. and uh, Darling Dozen Reasons. Is that right? Daring Dozens Reasons. Can you speak with us about yeah? Speak with us about that and that resource because at your website, the listeners can actually go to that blog entry, which you've got lots of blog entries, and you they can access this, correct? Yeah. So um, the 12 Reasons Why Life Gets Better with Age is the subtitle for my book, Learning to Love Midlife. And it was really spawned from the, the, the daily blog I have, Wisdom Well, which you can find on the MEA website, meawisdom.com or chipcomma.com. And you can, you can subscribe for free and we send you a, a morning microdose of wisdom. Um, what the idea of these reasons that life gets better with age came to me when I just realized we have a very anti-ageist world. We don't like age. Aging feels like a bad thing. And um, we have a whole anti-aging industrial complex that sells us products to try to make us feel younger. And what I knew was there's a lot of things that get worse with age. We know that short-term memory gets worse with age. Uh, our, our body often gets worse with age. But what I felt was missing was like the thing, helping people to understand what gets better with age. And so that's really what the book's about. And that's what my blog's about. Everything from your emotional intelligence grows with age, um, your, your desire, your emotional moderate moderation, your ability to be less reactive grows with age. Um, right. Your care, your, you, the fact you care less what other people think about you is something that gets better with age. Your wisdom grows with age. Um, your ability to see the through line or the theme in your life grow with age uh your 
uh, ability to step off the treadmill and 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 live your definition of success rather than your parents or the community's definition of success grows with age. Um, and finally, you know, your ability to grow whole, not just grow old, but grow whole, integrate all of the different parts of yourself alchemically such that you are both an extrovert and an introvert, someone with gravitas and levity, someone who's curious and wise, and to actually embody all of that with presence and integrating as opposed to being compartmentalized, which is actually how we often feel earlier in our life. These are all things that get better with age. And so I have a, basically a pro-aging message, not an anti-aging message, a pro-aging message to help people to see with the U-curve of happiness, people often are happier after age 50. And in their 50s, they're happier than their 40s, 60s happier than 50s, 70s happier than 60s, and women in their 80s happier than 70s. Question for you. I'm going to throw you a quick little curveball here because I know you can answer it. We have two candidates running for president that yes. the big topic right now is age and mental acuity. And I don't care if it is Trump or Biden. Yeah. What's what's kind of your position? Because, I mean, when you look at that, we have the, the most, well, one of the most important uh, leadership roles in the country uh, being... Oh, I, I think it's the most leader. I think it's the most important leadership role in the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's no doubt about that. And it might be the most important leadership role in the world. So it's a demanding job. Mm -hmm. And I think, so I start with that. I am a big believer in modern elders, in people who are older, who have a lot to give back and have a mm -hmm. lot of, they have a lot of crystallized intelligence. One of the things that we get better with as we get older is not fluid intelligence, which is being able to make decisions quickly and solve problems quickly, but we get better at being able to see the holistic picture systemically picture. Yeah. and exactly and, and connect the dots. So connecting the dots is something you want a president to do. No doubt about it. You want to, you want someone who's wise. And I think that comes with age um, or it can come with age. Um, I think one of the things that I struggle with, I have a, a blog post coming out in, in a couple of days on this topic. <laughs> um, I struggle with the fact that in both cases, um, you know, there's no doubt that uh, Biden comes across as looking older. He is actually three and a half years older. He comes across looking older, but Trump often comes across as looking like, like he's like, like a child because he, <laughs> he, he is, he, he doesn't seem like he has wisdom and maturity. Um, right. Right. So, so whether, whether, so I personally, I believe that the country is, would be well served with a younger, younger candidates. Um, not, <laughs> not, not because I think um, older people don't have great opportunity to make, serve, but I think Biden's going to be 86 when he would finish his, his second term. Trump would be 82. I, I just feel like for the demanding job that is being president, which almost comes in, you you live your life in dog years. Every one year of a human life is seven years of, or every year of a dog, like, so it's like you age very quickly. If you have to see yeah. those photos of Obama, I mean, Obama aged a lot. In his yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. So, so if you're aging in your fifties, it's one thing. If you're aging in your eighties, it's another. And yeah. so, so yes, I, so I don't say that to say, you know, that these, these are the two choices we may have. And we may have to select amongst these two choices. Yeah, yeah, but, I did. I just threw you a curveball there, but I thought it was. I'm curious. I was curious, and and I do believe, as you do, the country would be better served with somebody younger in that position, most definitely. Um, yeah. 
you know, you state in midlife that we need to start distinguishing between lifespan and health span. Um, I had Dan Butner on here not that long ago. Dan's a friend. Of, he's, Dan, a faculty, he's a faculty member of MEA. Right. Yeah. And obviously all the work he's done for National Geographic and the documentaries on Netflix and so on, which have just been fantastic. And his work around the nine variables that correlate to living longer. Can you speak about those variables? And I mean, because we're talking about lifespan versus health span. If you age and you don't have a good health e life, yeah. it sometimes is not that cool, right? Well, let's <laughs> yeah, face I it. Mean, so let's let's be clear what lifespan is and health span. So lifespan is your chronological age. Health right. span is your, your biological age. And so there are people, there's lots of abilities now to be able to see, well, how old is your heart? I'm 63 years old. Maybe my heart is 56. Uh, maybe my liver is 82. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, like you, you can actually understand how much aging your organs have done. So health span speaks to this idea of um, living a life that actually allows you to be healthier longer. So you live longer and live better as a result. So Dan's work is a, a pivotal part of MEA. Um, we do four Blue Zones workshops a year. Uh, for those who don't know Blue Zones, they're the five places in the world that Dan studied um, that had the, great, the largest percentage of centenarians in the world. And he came up with nine reasons that were sort of common amongst those places. Things like um, exercising naturally. You know, you don't see in Sardinia, um, the guys who are 100 years old, you don't see them actually in a gym. They're, they do natural exercise, partly because Sardinia has a lot of hills. And so they they exercise naturally. And so they get out and they walk and, and they do things in the garden and things like that. So that's one of those examples. Another one is plant-based diet, which is interesting, was common amongst the centenarians is that they didn't eat a lot of meat. They also only ate till they're about 80% full. So they didn't gorge themselves in the United States, we tend to overeat because we have big portions. Um, that's not true in the places in the world where there's the greatest number of centenarians. Um, being part of a tribe, being part of a group of people that you, you feel very connected to and you have a deep relationship with is also very important. I can keep going, but there no, but are a strong, actually, strong, strong spiritual sense as well was strong, another strong one of those. spiritual sense, yep. yeah. Yeah, strong spiritual yeah. sense. But I'm glad that Butner is connected with uh, MEA because, yeah. you know, the work that he's done it correlates there. Now, obviously going through midlife comes with our ability to embrace change. We've always got change going on no matter what. Could you speak what you refer to as TQ, transitional IQ, and how it can help our listeners see these changes as a new beginning and not resist the changes that they will, you know, what I say, you can go through or grow through, right? Uh, I, I, to me, I like that, I, I like that Greg. Yeah. I, I think let's grow through it, but let's not go through it. Mm, that's beautiful. Um, yeah, you know, my great, my, both of my grandfathers, uh, you know, had one job or one, one employer their whole life. One worked for an insurance, insurance company, one worked for a bank. Um, and for 40 years, those two men worked in exclusively one company. Uh, back when I was born in 1960, the average person had three uh, jobs in their career. Today, it's 12 or 13. So mm -hmm. from a professional perspective, we have a lot more change in our life. 
the world is changing faster as well. There's more divorce uh, than you know back in the 1950s. Um, there's you know, there's people living pathways of lives that are different than their parents what were. So the bottom line is we are going through a lot of change. And so at MEA, one of the things we really help people with is navigating their midlife transitions. And so we believe that one of the most important skills you need to have in the modern world is an ability to navigate your transitions and master them. And so we coined the term transitional intelligence, TQ, to help people understand that TQ is a valuable skill that you need to learn uh, in midlife and beyond, or frankly, at any time in your life. Uh, and But especially in midlife, because there's so many transitions we go through in midlife, everything from menopause to for women and andropause for men, empty nest, um, parents passing away, uh, going through your own health diagnosis that's scary, um, changing careers, changing where you live, et cetera. Yeah, no, it's, I think that this transitional IQ that you referenced to is a big one. You know, we've, we've always, we've all heard the emotional quotient part of it that's been around uh, forever and ever. Now you mentioned in the chapter, this, this is an interesting chapter title. I have no more fucks left to give uh, that you came out at 22 as a gay man. Uh, you've now realized that giving a fuck about less is particularly valuable in midlife when we spent the first half of our life accumulating and how it is now it is time to edit, meaning edit all the accumulations out. You said it's about feeling comfortable with being different. What would you tell the listeners about not allowing all the garbage to carry, to carry it with them and weigh them down and to live a life of purpose and meaning and fulfillment as they reach midlife. Because I think many of us pick up, you know, I call it in a world of making stuff up, making shit up, MSU. Um, and then we begin to believe it. And we spend half of our life unraveling what we were believing uh, to try and live the life we really want to live. Yeah. So, I, so this chapter is dedicated to the idea that um, as we get older, we it's not that we don't care about things in life, but we're more discerning about what we care about. Yes, I use the language of to give a fuck because Mark Mans Manson's book, The Subtle Art of Art Not of, Giving a Fuck, right. is six has sold 16 million copies. So it's clearly it resonates out there. And what I really want people to see though is the following. Um, yes, to to move beyond caring what other people think of you is one of the delights and freedoms of getting older but not giving a damn about something doesn't mean you don't give a damn about anything it just means you get more clear about what you give a damn about and what you get more clear about who you, whose opinions you you care about and so it's just a matter of discernment um and yes i i, I use the salacious title for uh for that chapter about saying um you know no more fucks left to give because I think there are a lot of people with the over 4,000 people who've come to MEA. I've heard people say that over and over again, you know, and it's not because they're like giving up on caring what people think of them. It's more like they're getting more discerning about whose opinions matter mm -hmm. and whose don't. Yeah. And, and I think that throughout life, if we're always living life for somebody else, we're not ever living our own life. Um, meaning we're not being true to ourselves. 
And I know that for you, you know, my brother was gay and to actually come out took so much courage back then. You know, I'm 70. He came out when he was 18 and he was older than me. So you can imagine. And he did get ostracized in the world. And on his deathbed, he said to me or prior to that, he said uh, something to me that I'll never forget. Um, And it was. uh, And this is a, a sign of the times. I wouldn't have wished the life that I lived on anybody. And what he meant by that is he never got about what you're talking about right now, the whatever people giving a fuck or whatever. He never got that. He never manifested that. It was always about this challenge of finding a partner and living an alone life and all the challenges. And I felt bad for my brother because, you know, you kind of go to your grave with that and, that's not a good thing. You need to let go of all of that. Um, and, you know, you have a diagram in the book that you called Chip's Hero's Journey. Yeah. Um, it, and this diagram is is way cool, folks. Um, and it's, it's, it's uh, reminds me so much of uh, the Hero's Journey guy. Who am I thinking of? Because I'm going to have Alan watch Joseph, this. Yeah, actually, Mark. Joseph Campbell. Yeah. Mark Mark Watts is coming on the show in a couple of weeks for the Dow of now, but I I was, yeah, Joseph Campbell. And you mentioned that it states that uh, with conduit at the top, and you mentioned that this, that this phrase is when life is good. Can you briefly take our listeners and through, you've got quite a few stages, but kind of the stages of, of Chip's life, because this brings me back to the Hudson Institute diagram. Uh, yeah. which literally these things kind of have some similarities. Yeah. So Joseph Campbell's work on the hero's journey spoke to really three pieces of the transitional journey. There's the default stage in which you're in where things are sort of normal and things are fine, but then you have a call to adventure, which takes you into the chrysalis stage, into that, um, you know, the, the sort of the shadow stage. Think of Luke Skywalker um, because George Lucas basically studied Joseph Campbell and the Star Wars films were all about that. So the second stage is when you're actually going through a major transition and then you come back into society um, as a new person. Um, so for my hero's journey, this is in a chapter uh, in the book on knowing your story. Uh, I put together my own hero's journey. It starts at the top with conduit. When I feel most alive in my life, it's when things are coming through me, I'm channeling something. Often when that's happening, that leads me to feeling like I'm living my calling. And mm-hmm. I get very passionate about that. And when I get passionate about something, um, I end up sacrificing. And, you know, the, the passion of the Christ was, you know, about sacrifice. And so I that's where I start going from the the, the, the normal stage for me to the sacrifice takes me into the, the shadow part of this. Um, and that's when I, when I start sacrificing because I have a calling that I'm passionate about. I become a bit one dimensional and I start running on a treadmill. And then all of a sudden at the bottom of the circle, I see that I have moved from a conduit to a can-do-it hero because I'm so passionate about this calling and what I'm doing. And I'm putting so much of my effort and love and attention into it that I become a hero. And I'm, I feel like I have to be the rugged individualist. And it's during those times when I quite frankly, um, there's a famous African proverb, which is, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. <laughs> That's when people need to remind me of that proverb because I am a fast, go alone kind of guy. 
which yeah. leads me to be in a place sometimes where I'm either spent or I'm invested. So if I'm spent, it means I've now burnt myself out. But also when I'm doing something that feels like a calling, I feel invested. But next, the next part of the circle gets me to resentment. And that's because people are not keeping up with me. And then I have to go into recovery. Um, and I don't mean a 12-step program necessarily, but I do mean like I have to really see that I am in a place where I need to recover from this intensity I've been through. And then I go through renewal and a new form of curiosity. And it takes me back up to the top Conduct. of being a conduit again. So that's really the that's the circle. And it's worked very well for me. And I and the book really gives people a way of actually creating and designing their own hero's journey. Yeah, you know, it does. And I think, you know, when you talked about going it with somebody or going alone, I think many creatives that I've interviewed, I've done almost 1100 interviews now, uh, frequently, they do have that issue of going it alone. Um, I, I've experienced that. And it's not just the fact that you're an author and that you're a, a thought leader in this particular area. It's the fact that you talked about, as I got older, my mind has put more dots together. Uh, as Rita McGrath would say, you know, you actually are seeing into the future. You're saying this has a bad rap. This is not the way this should be. Mid, mid-age is not with mid-age crisis. It's with mid-age renewal. And what you're trying to do is bring renewal to people. And I love that. I really do. Um, you know, look, in the time remaining, which I'll make this my last question to kind of wrap up, the book is filled with wisdom, uh, as you being sage elder with the advice. Uh, what are three things that my listeners could take away from the book and apply to their lives to help them through the midlife journey that they all might be on right now as they're listening to this so that they can have more fulfillment, more meaning, more significance, more purpose, uh, and say, hey, on my deathbed, I love the life that I lived. Yeah. Well, what I would say is you're not alone. So this is not one of my three, but you're not alone. People going through midlife are often going through all kinds of transitions and, and because especially men have a tendency to keep them to themselves and not talk about them, um, they can sometimes feel like they're an idiot. And so you're not alone. Number one is understand that any transition has three stages to it. There's the ending of something, there's the messy middle, and there's the beginning of something new. And once you understand that that's sort of the cycle of a transition, um, you can understand a little bit more about which stage are you in. Highly recommend people go to the MEA website and go to the footer at the bottom of the website, and you'll see a bunch of free resources. There's a uh, a short ebook called "The Anatomy of a Transition" that's free. I I got that one. Yeah, and it's <laughs> it really gives a visual depiction of how to understand a transition. Because if you can understand your transitions better, you're going to live a better life. Secondly, um, one of the most important things to know in midlife and beyond is you got to become a beginner again. Now that's hard to believe because like, oh wait, wait, I no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm experienced. And I don't want to try to become a beginner again. I don't want to have to learn Spanish, you know, in my late 50s. But I asked myself the question at age 57 when I moved to Mexico as one of my two primary residences. Um, I asked the question, 10 years from now, what will I regret if I don't learn it or do it now? And that's how I learned to start surfing at age 57, because I lived on a beach in Mexico where the MEA campus is, and we have a great surf break nearby. And it's also when I learned how to, 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 I learned Spanish. I wanted to learn Spanish because 
learning Spanish or learning to surf at age 67 was going to be harder than it would be at 57. So uh, having that question, um, 10 years from now, what will I regret if I don't learn it or do it now, allows you to come face to face with anticipated regret. Anticipated regret is a form of wisdom um, and use that. So that's the second piece of advice I'd give people. Um, and the third one is invest in your social relationships. The number one variable for people who are living healthy, happy lives in their 80s and 90s is how invested were they in their social relationships in their 50s. Um, so find social wellness in your life. Build connections with people more deeply. It's not about quantity. It's not being a, you know having a bunch of Facebook friends. It's about having face-to-face -face time with people and connecting and feeling like you have an insurance policy for a rainy day, an emotional insurance policy. Well, and the good thing is, you know, loneliness doesn't have to be, you need to reach out. I know loneliness, they say, is it an epidemic. Uh, but the reality is, go get a copy of this book, uh, Learning to Love Midlife, 12 Reasons Why If Life Gets Better. At Chip's website, his personal website, not the MEA one, but just go to Chip Connolly, C-O-N-L-E-Y.com. There, you'll see at the top, the books speaking the MEA. There's a link to MEA there. So you can link to that and get that free download. We'll also put a link to that free download because that is a valuable uh, document. It's a little mini kind of uh, book that he's giving away for free. And we'll put a link to Amazon to this book as well. Chip, namaste to you. Thank you for being on Inside Personal Growth and spending some really great time with me and with our listeners uh, to talk about your new book. We'll make sure that everybody gets these links and is connected in. Thank you, Greg. I, I always enjoyed being with you. All right. You take care. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.